does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. This morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. I reminder coming up in about 20 minutes, Stephen Holder will join us from ESPN, ESPN.com. Always love talking with him. You know, Mark was playing some some heavier rock there uh, as intro music, and it made me think of the difference between him uh, and Elijah, who was in yesterday. And Mark, I do need to tell you, mm-hmm. Elijah was wearing his brand new Packers gear yesterday okay. to infest your producer seat. So I figured you would want to know that. I need to go find some Febreze. <laughs> I almost brought some Lysol. Uh, into the drivehuber.com studio for you. So I figured these are the things that happen when you're not in. Another producer is wearing Packers gear. I, I really like Elijah, too. It's, this is very disappointing. It, it was kind of cute yesterday. KB goes, yeah, I don't I don't think the Packers are going to make the playoffs. I was like, oh, yeah, you I don't, think so? I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think they are, man. They barely beat the Panthers. <laughs> I was like, I don't well, think... aren't they only a game out? Well, you know. They're not making it. Who isn't a game out? It seems like everyone except for, you know, the New York teams are a game out. Uh, But I found that funny as well. Speaking of being a game out, can I ask you guys this? Uh, And I know, listen, the tackling stuff, I want to get to that Julian Blackman out. It's a big deal. The Pacers snatching a win, perhaps, from the jaws of defeat yesterday. I I don't know if today, tomorrow, I'm trying to find out, you know, this cold season has been so up and down because it was so predicated on, you know, don't worry about the wins, worry about Anthony Richardson. And we saw that like game one, uh, it was a great example against Jacksonville. And so, you know, now fans want to make the playoffs, even though I think people understand they're not going to make a super deep run, but you never can you never can have that magical run if you don't simply make the playoffs, right? Like we all you gotta get in before you make the magical run. I heard Jake maybe it was JMV talking about this yesterday. Um actually it wasn't JMV because he was off. It was Jake then making the point of you know, uh, you know, this team can get in and they can win a game in the postseason. How the Giants and Daniel Jones won a road playoff game last year. So if this team gets in, no doubt do I think they could go scare the hell out of somebody or, or go win a game. I do. You know, KB, for you, I, I, th- I, I'm asking, but I'm all, I'm telling, I'm asking, I, I'm just trying to figure out, like fans, because the hey, go get a high draft pick is out the window at this point. And if you were to lose the last two games or even lose one of the last two games, even if it's Sunday against the lowly quarterback Raiders or if it's against what may be your new rival in the AFC South, especially if C.J. Stroud is back, you lose that game, there's going to be real big disappointment. So I, I can't tell... Like, if the Colts make the playoffs, are fans going to feel that it's such a substantial step that they believe next year they should really be competing? Or was this all happening because of circumstances, because of a schedule, because of the quarterbacks that you played on a schedule? Um, Is it that? So, like, 
what's the long term if the Colts make the playoffs? And I guess I would ask on the flip side, what's the long and short term if they don't make the playoffs? Will it? Will we throw out the good if they don't make the playoffs and focus on year number seven, you're rebuilding with Chris Ballard and you still don't make the playoffs? You know, I texted you this yesterday. I'm trying to figure out what the psyche of 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 the fan base is that has been told don't believe in wins and then kind of believe in wins and then well no really believe in wins because you could go make the postseason and go perhaps win a game and kind of get back to who the Colts have you know been under Andrew Luck under many years with Peyton Manning does that make sense do, do you have a concrete answer do you think there is a concrete answer within the Colts fan base well. I- Probably not. I mean, again, to me, the Richardson storyline is the one that superseded everything else entering the season. Uh, for myself, I need to see nothing in the final two weeks to exit 2023 thinking Shane Steichen is well-positioned uh, or the Colts should feel very well-positioned with Shane Steichen leading things moving forward. Right. Um, I think I, I I'll feel that way. I don't need to see a, a collapse, whatever, to the Raiders and the Texans, so be it. Um, I still have seen a lot of good amidst a lot of chaos around him. That makes me, again, uh, and I think Colts fans should feel very optimistic about what he can do moving forward. So it's not as big of a deal to no, you. No, now, Some Colts fans would see it as a massive deal. They sure. did not make the playoffs now. Okay, would it be disappointing? Yeah, I think both could be true. Um, what would be disappointing about it? Well, think about it. You've lost to P.J. Walker, Jake Browning, and Taylor Heineke. And if you're going to miss the playoffs, yeah. you would you know, maybe lose to a rookie quarterback. Right. And again, C.J. Stroud, to me, labeling him as a rookie quarterback is probably unfair. But you know, at the start of the year, if you were to say you'd have quarterback matchups of Gardner Minshew versus P.J. Walker, Gardner Minshew versus Jake Browning, Gardner Minshew versus Taylor Heineke, you would like to think that at the very least, you know, whatever, you go 2-1 and one in those games. Um, and you're 0-3 in those games. And right now, those are three games you point to. Two of them, you've been run off the field. You know, Cincinnati... And Atlanta, obviously, Cleveland, the whistle did not go your way late. And at the same time, you let PJ Walker drive, right, you know, 60 right. some yards on well, you. You gave him free field goals, what, two, or the three, two or three free field goals by turnovers. You let Miles Garrett ruin you in your end zone. You're taking a seven step drop with Gardner Minju. So, yeah, yeah again, things. I think you would have disappointment in that. Um, you know, I mentioned yesterday. It's disappointing when you're losing to kind of like-minded teams that, in Atlanta's case, they don't even have as much to play for as you do. And it's not that you lost. I mean, again, you got outclassed on Sunday in several facets that should be held to a higher standard. Your O-line and your defense are not backup quarterbacks. Uh, that group, those units, should be graded on a tougher scale, and they were thoroughly outplayed. So I think you can have like some you know, present tense, if you will, whatever, short-term disappointment in that, but uh, big picture, again, you feel optimistic about Shane and Anthony Richardson and the operation moving forward while still knowing that this is a rebuild. And right. you need to make sure that uh, you know pieces are added, both sides of the ball from that. Um, you know, you almost group Steichen and Ballard in two different camps um, because, you know, first off, their regimes span much different, you know, time frames. Um, at the end of the day, the Colts are in a rebuild in year seven of their GM. That's not good. That's not a, a ringing endorsement of Chris Ballard at all. Um 
So that, I think, is disappointing. And obviously, if you were to miss the playoffs, then it'd be no division titles. What if you make it? seven years. How, how does that change things? Are fans going to, A, are they going to be happier with Ballard? And B, are they then going to expect a better season next year? Th- yeah, I think expectations would be high me, no matter what. They would remind me of the Giants, yeah, who I, made the postseason and it put a mask over, hey, it's a good team. They come back the next year. And it's like, eh, it's not that good of a team. Right. I think expectations are going to be high no matter what. But again, you point to the Vikings, you point to the Giants. They're perfect examples of just because you had opening year success with a new head coach doesn't guarantee right. this linear line moving forward. Uh, the schedule is going to be tougher. Um, you do have now a year's worth of film on Shane Steichen. I was trading text ye- yesterday with a listener, Zach, who does just a great job in observing the Colts and, and always kind of puts interesting thoughts in my mind. And he was kind of asking me this question of like, do you find it odd that the Colts seem to lose to the offensive head coaches, but beat the defensive head coaches. And it's a really interesting trend if you look at the schedule. They pretty much have beaten all the defensive coaches on their schedule, whether it's, you know, Tomlin or Bowles or Rabel or or yep. you know, Harbaugh more special teams. But right. still, you know, again, a lot of those coaches oh, Bill Belichick. And then yeah. the, the offensive coaches, you know, whether it is Arthur Smith or whether it is Zach Taylor or, you know, Doug Peterson beating you twice. Well that's a great um, that's a great point. The only outlier is Carolina, but they're the outlier because they're that bad. Right. And then I think Dennis Allen yeah. is maybe the only defensive coach that has beaten you. So it, it it's just kind of an odd trend that you're going to get to at the end of the year. and That's a good you know, point. Uh, that you look at. So, um, again, I think no matter what happens these final two weeks, there should be optimism moving forward. But the optimism does not guarantee 2024 success. Right. The schedule is going to be tough. They're two separate there things. There is going to be. People can't, people can't remember that, though. Better They're two separate things. And, you know, you have examples. The Vikings and the Giants, again, are perfect examples. Perfect examples. Of that. Yep. Um, so, I, I, I think in the... Here and now, in the short term, same thing goes for the Pacers, Andy. When we have been in this market for the last handful of years, and the teams that you root for the most, Colts and Pacers, have had such a lack of either playoff appearances or playoff success, you want the taste of it. You want to get back to that. I mean, Lucas Oil Stadium, which it's still possible, has not hosted a home playoff game since January, what, 2015? It's very possible. It's about to be January 2024. It's very possible, though. So, I mean, that taste you're missing. And if you're someone in my age group, okay, you know, I just turned 34 years old a few months ago. In this market, I'm used to home playoff games for the Colts. I'm used to perennial playoff appearances. And again, obviously, if you get a little bit older, you know, they lived through the, you know, 80s and 90s where. It was a struggle to make the postseason. And then if you look at the Pacers, and we've talked about it, six years without a playoff win, nine years without a playoff series win, that's a long time time, for the Pacers franchise. So I think you can have the short-term disappointment while still realizing there is long-term optimism there, even if it's really going to sting potentially here in the next couple weeks if things go the other way. Uh, yeah, no, I just, I'm trying to get a good gauge of where everybody is because, I don't know, you know, the second half they were they were playing so bad, everyone's like, ah, just screw it, just, you know, forget about the, the two games. And I know it's Twitter during a game, but I'm like, y'all understand, like, right now you're drafting 20th. If you lose a couple games, that's going to go up to, like, 17th. Like, we're beyond that. To me, now it's, hey, go make the playoffs, ruin someone's season, try to ruin someone's day, try to go into someone else's stadium now, and, see, and I would disagree do what they on need that. to do. I think draft position does matter. When you look at trades and drafts in a, let's just say, 
whatever, the Colts win their final game of the season. Instead of drafting 16th, they draft 20th. If you look at what it would take from trade to 20th to 16th, that could yeah. be a Julian it be, Blackman. It could be some capital. That could sure. be a Bobby uh, right. Okereke. You know, I'm trying to think of like third-round picks the Colts have had. So um, is it the end-all, be-all? No. Uh, and obviously there are misses that could involve there. But you know, if you talk about draft position and you talk about a hands- handful of spots in round one, and you talk about a trade of a handful of spots in round one, that is very significant. Uh, look at right now a team that no one wants to play. That would be Buffalo. When Buffalo trade up to get Josh Allen, they traded up twice. Uh, I think the first time it was like from 20 to 12, and then the second time from 12 to 7. That's a massive trade up to get, obviously, their franchise quarterback. So um, the draft's a crapshoot. You never know how it's going to turn out. And obviously, there's plenty of drafts where the 23rd pick is better than the 16th or 17th pick. Uh, I'm not saying that, but I'm not one of these that say just because you aren't in Marvin Harrison's sweepstakes means draft <laughs> position doesn't matter. Well, because I look at it and think, if I get the choice for the second wideout in this draft class, right. sign me up. Whereas all of a sudden, if 17 to 22 becomes hey, the second and third and fourth wideout were taken at pick 17, pick 19, and pick 20, and you're sitting there at 22, and now you're getting the fifth choice at wideout. And again, it's what's left on the shelf for you, not you making the selection, not you walking to the gas station and saying, no, 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 I want that Reese's. It's you walking in and saying, here's your Mike and Ikes, and take it. Or leave it. That to me, I ate so many Mike and Ikes. Is a little different oh, over the over the Christmas. Rosie got one oh in her my stocking. God. Is this a good thing? I don't know. You like Mike and Ikes? I don't I mean, know if I, I'm the biggest Mike uh, and Ikes fan. That's fine. Yeah, I have no problem with that. But yeah, you know, I'll crush a box. I, I have no problem. I guess here's my point with all this. Should Rosie crush and, a box? I mean, she's three and a half. <laughs> Probably not. Tell her that fat radio guys do. Uh, she doesn't <laughs> want to be that. I guess my thing is we are beyond. <laughs> We're picking, hey, could they go 20th, 22nd, or like 17th? We're beyond the, hey, you're going to be near the top. You're going to be 10th. You're going to be 9th. You're going to be 12th. I guess, I guess that's what I, I guess that's what I yeah, was and, getting and, at. And you're, I know you're beyond that. Now, now you're all playoffs ahead to me. And hey, go do as well as you can this right. season. And again, I'm probably a little bit in the minority, but I hear so many people just write off draft position. I'm like, well, I, I don't totally, you know, I, I don't totally. Uh, whatever, abide by that, agree with that. I do think it matters, and particularly when you execute trades uh, and what it would cost to trade up or even trade back and you know help bolster, which trade back is probably what you have to think of with Chris Bauer. Again, something I want to throw Stephen Holder's way when he joins us here in a few uh, is that Braden Smith-Shaquille Leonard similarity. Um, maybe because they were taken right next to each other in that 2018 draft, Um they both obviously have battled injuries through the last couple of seasons. Um, I think their play on the field has been different, though, when healthy. I think that might be the difference. But that's something that uh, I will throw to uh, what, Stevens' wife. What, what's your level of worry, then, with Braden Smith? I feel like it's creeping up every week that he doesn't play, and it becomes... <sighs> I don't know if we'll say glaring, but it becomes obvious that they need him. It's even more obvious they're going to have to run the football to win some games. Oh, whether it's question. playoffs the last two weeks yeah. against the Raiders, whatever it may be, they're going to have to do that. How about this? And I'm kind of scared right now with what we're seeing from the line. 18 games. You look at the last 18 games of Jonathan Taylor. He's got 100-yard rushing game. 18 is a big sample size for Jonathan Taylor. It, tell, it tells me Chris Ballard, whether he drafts 17th or 22nd, might be drafting an offensive lineman. Now, That's what it tells me. That one game in the last 18 for Jonathan Taylor over 100 did come last year 
against the Raiders if you're looking for some optimism for Sunday, the lone win of the Jeff Saturday era. All right, Stephen Holder, he joins us next here. It's a wake-up call with KB and Andy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Appreciate you joining us here, 8 o'clock hour, hanging out in the drivehuber.com studio. We were just talking during the break. KB's going to be on remote the next two days. Big family outing in Florida. Marathon Florida. All all the, the, I I don't know if it's all the Bowens, which side of the family it is. All the lovers, the Uh (laughs) in-laws. We're all going to be there. Uh, So he's going to have a lot of fun there. Uh, We're super busy. Reminder, coming up on Sunday at 9 a.m., our pregame coverage beginning Colts and Raiders. And boy, that one is is going to mean a lot. And to talk about that game and all the happenings in the Colts world, we talk with Stephen Holder here, 8 o'clock hour on a Wednesday. Stephen joins us from ESPN.com and on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, happy holidays. Good morning. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Happy holidays to everybody as well. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we always do appreciate it. Well, let's jump right to it. Uh, the Julian Blackman injury off to IR four games. He would not be back unless, of course, the Colts make the AFC championship game. Uh, generic question here. How big of a loss do you think it is? And boy, Nick Cross went from almost no snaps to playing all the snaps. And I would imagine a lot of pressure is going to be on him the next couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually a bigger loss than than people might expect. Uh, now, they're fortunate that Nick Cross has gotten some playing time, and, and that's a little bit of a softer blow because at least you know you, you have something there in him. Uh, but, but I also think that Julian Blackman is a little bit of an underappreciated player. You know, and, and safeties tend to be that way anyway, unless they have, like, uh, you know, tons of interceptions or – or defensive scores, or what have you, and he doesn't have that. I mean, he has four interceptions, but I mean, you know, he doesn't have the the Kenny Moore game, you know, the two pick sixes, or that kind of thing. But that being said, uh, his role is is very important, and and I think he's just a really dependable, solid player who tackles well, who's in position, uh, who who understands the scheme, and uh, and is is just someone the coaches really rely upon. So. It's, you know, it's one of those things. Sometimes it doesn't show up until he's not there, and so I'm interested to see, you know, how they handle this loss because I actually happen to think it's a, a fairly big loss. I would say just as a quick follow up, Blackman being a free agent, how high on the priority list do you think he is for this team in the off season? Any way to know? It's a great question. It, it's it's a little bit hard to know because they're all sort of interrelated. You know, like. It depends on, you know, how much the other guys cost and, and what you can get in free agency uh, at other positions and, and how you rank those positions. So I think it, it kind of depends. But I also think we'll, we'll know maybe a little bit based on what we see the next couple of weeks, <laughs> to be completely honest with you. Sure. You know, if those safeties are, are a mess, well, you know, it's going to make Julian Blackman look a lot more valuable. So we'll see. Um, I, I do think that you can retain Julian Blackman for a, a very reasonable price 
even though he is a good player, that position, not a high-paid position. Uh, he, he's certainly not an all-pro type player necessarily. So I, I think they could work something out. If they really want Julian Blackman, I think he'll be here. So um, we'll, we'll learn how much they like him, I think, pretty soon. Yeah, it's a great point. Grover Stewart's agent, Michael Pittman Jr.'s agent, they had to like how the Colts played with their clients not on the field here uh, recently. Hmm. We'll see if Julian Blackman agent falls into the same boat. Um, I want to go back to Sunday just quickly, Stephen, before we move on. Um, again, Stephen Holder with us, ESPN. Uh, more disappointed in the, in the defensive effort or the offensive line effort? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I, I would have to say, hmm, I think the, the offensive line effort was disappointing to me just because they had played so well the previous week. I don't. I don't know that we had seen them play better this year, you know. And Jonathan Taylor's numbers—they're going to look bad on paper. But I mean, if you watch the game, you really watch closely. I mean, there was nowhere for him to run. I, I really put it on the offensive line. In fact, I said this to the midday guys yesterday. I felt like there were runs early in that game where I said to myself, "I have no idea how Jonathan Taylor got four yards right there," <laughs> you know. And I, I just think about think about the difference from the previous week against a, a Pittsburgh front that at least in name has some guys <laughs> and they just manhandled them against Pittsburgh and here against Atlanta the, the Colts are getting pushed around I just I was flabbergasted by that I, I do not understand it and and it's part of it's part of the frustration with this Colts team in general it's just the, the inconsistency overall. Look, I'm not killing them. That's just kind of what we thought they were. But when they play really well at times, you're like, okay, well, you have it in you. We know you can do it. And then you have a Cincinnati game, you have an Atlanta game, and I, I just think sometimes teams that are overachieving, I have felt this way for a while, but when they win five out of six, you kind of reevaluate. But I've felt this way for a while. Teams that are overachieving – they're kind of predisposed to these disparate results, you know, where they're like, man, are they good? Are they not good? Well, they're maybe just okay, and they're overachieving. So maybe that's what they are. I don't know. And Stephen Holder's with us here from ESPN. Um, Stephen, stick with the offensive line here for just a second. Uh, they were obviously dra- drafted next to each other. Um, I think in a way, you know, they've been two guys that have, you know, battled injuries maybe more so than any other Colts players in the last couple of years. That would be Shaquille Leonard and Braden Smith. Um, do you see any similarities to their situations? Um, obviously, Shaq let go by the team, you know, a few weeks ago. Certainly a financial implication there. Braden Smith makes a lot of money as well. Do you see any similarities in regards to how the Colts handled Shaquille Leonard and what they possibly might do with Braden Smith? Look, I mean, excuse me, There's the, the difference is pretty clear, which is that one player, one player had, a, had a long-term thing that, that they did not feel optimistic about getting better. I guess it was a long-term major injury. With Braden Smith, it's been this, it's been that, it's been another thing. It's been a, a various or a variety, I should yeah. say. It's not nerve damage in his back. Yeah, exactly. But that's but at the same time, yes, I totally get what you're saying. And I will tell you that have there been conversations about like what do we do with Braden Smith in the long term? Sure. That has happened. And I'm not 
suggesting that any kind of decision whatsoever is going to be made now. I'm not saying that, or even in the coming offseason. I have no idea. But, I mean, if you ask people over there, like, hey, is this an issue? They say yes, because <laughs> it is. It is an issue. And I'm not killing Braden Smith. He's really good. And when he plays, his presence is felt. But he's missed a lot of time. And at minimum, next year is a massive year for him, at minimum. But you are correct. I mean, the, the money is starting to matter more. I get that they have a ton of cap space. I get that. I get that. Well, they're about to spend a ton of money, too. That's the thing people forget. I mean, this is not going to be some free agent bonanza this offseason because they have a lot of money to spend. I mean, they, they have a lot of deals to get done. I mean, their free agent list is, is pretty significant. So I think when you get to that situation, you, you have to kind of, I don't want to say pick and choose, but, but you gotta, you got to really take a hard look at some things and, and maybe make some hard decisions. And I don't know if they're there yet. I really don't. But I do think that, what, he's $17, $18 million a year? Right. Um, are they getting that kind of production when he's not out there for half the season or more? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I think a restructure makes sense. I, I would just say the differences for me in the situation, Stephen, is level of play. I think when Braden Smith is out there, true. he's playing at a yeah. very high level. When Shaq Leonard was out there, he was not playing at that level. And then also yeah. the depth chart. There's no EJ speed at right tackle, in my opinion. Blake Freeland, I think, has had a decent rookie season, Sunday probably being his worst moment. But I don't think I'd be ready to hand the keys to Blake Freeland and say, here you go, starting right tackle in year two. And then you still would have depth at offensive tackle question moving into the offseason if you just outright cut Braden. Right. That's always that's always part of the calculation, right? Like, how? what are the consequences of doing something here? I agree. I mean, that's and that's what – if you're if you're Braden Smith and, and his representation, if you are approached about something, that's the first thing you're going to say is, "Oh, really?" Right. So, right. I get it, and I and I don't disagree with anything you just said. All I'm saying is, and and I know you, I know you, you know we're not. I think we're in agreement. All I'm saying is that, uh, yeah, it, it's they have to have a talk. Sure, I agree. Sure. They have to at least recognize this is an issue. It is an issue, and uh, him not being out there has been a problem. I I think so. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's only played in eight games this this season. Stephen Holder with us from ESPN on the Payless Liquor Sideline. It's a Wednesday on the wake-up call on the fan. Uh, Listen, i got to ask you about Michael Pittman. Uh, We thought he was going to play, then he ends up not playing. Uh, What did you make of the situation between, you know, Friday and Saturday? Still traveled with the team, wore the sunglasses, was there on the sideline, obviously, on Sunday. And then it's not even a question, Stephen. Like, I can't ask you do you think he's going to play Sunday because we're talking about a brain injury here we have no idea but boy uh, without him we saw DJ Montgomery and Alec Pierce four catches total 48 yards they could not throw the ball on Sunday is if he doesn't play boy that defense a couple defensive backs for the Raiders are having some really nice seasons yeah well first of all I mean this Raiders game okay everybody better sit up and pay attention all of a sudden here okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll get to that but I would say very disappointing performance in the passing game. What I what I would say about about Pittman and his his situation is I, I think it was exactly what what we were told. I don't always give everybody the benefit of the doubt uh, here. I, I think they really did. Uh, I think they really did tell us what happened. I mean, are there other details? I don't know, but 
um, you don't get you don't put that guy on that plane unless you had the full intent of him playing. And we asked Shane Steichen after the game, like you were moving, like were you moving forward with Michael Pittman in the game plan and playing in this game, even though he was questionable. You remember that? And he was pretty clear. Yeah, yeah, he was he was up. He was going to play. So. This happens sometimes. I mean, I'm working on a story, a concussion-related story right now, and, and the one thing that always gets reinforced when you interview people about concussions, like experts, uh, is that there is still a lot we don't know or a lot that we still don't understand, at least. And, and you know, when you have a relapse like that, um, it's, it's not out of the question, and, and these things can happen. There isn't any way to to predict whether something like that's going to happen. You know, um, it's a very complicated thing. So anyway, yeah, this is where they are, and and we'll see what happens. I mean, he's going to have to go through the protocol again. That's the thing to remember here, and and that's going to be a process. So, you know, today is a big day, and then tomorrow, hopefully a little progress and so forth. Yeah, just a walkthrough today for the Colts. Uh, Last week on Thursday, we did see Pittman not in a red jersey, so just some kind of benchmarks to keep an eye on as the week unfolds. Again, Stephen Holder is with us here from ESPN. Stephen, I want to make sure I give credit. Um, Zach Boyd is the one that texted me this, and I found it very interesting. I brought it up to Andy last segment, and I'll throw it at you. I don't have a great answer. I don't even know if I have some grand takeaway from it. If you look at the Colts' schedule this year, they pretty much have beaten the defensive-minded head coaches and lost to the offensive-minded head coaches. Um that's pretty much how the season's unfolded. Sure, you have a Dennis Allen who beat them earlier this year. You know, I, I guess they did beat Frank Reich. But, like, for the most part, they've beaten the defensive guys, lost the offensive guys. Anything you make of that? Huh. I had not even considered it. <laughs> and I guess um, good news is this. Two defensive coaches to end the year. <laughs> if you want to get technical, Colts fans, Antonio Pierce and D'Amico Rhines. Right, right, right. Um... That is interesting. Um, I, I actually, I would say this, and I, 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 I'm saying this without giving it any sort of deep thought or anything. Personally, I look more at quarterbacks than the coaches. Okay, yeah, um, that's fair. So, yeah. So when you look at when you look at Dennis Allen, for example, now Derek Carr has had maybe not his most memorable season, but that day he played like old Derek Carr, you know, and so. I think that's a that's one where I say, all right, well that that's a quarterback having a big day, and and the Colts, you know, not responding well. I don't know. Uh, it, it's not it's not a terrible analogy. I guess the yeah, I mean, even lost to Stefanski. Now that I think about it, without his quarterback, so I, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It is kind of interesting. I I I would have to give that some thought, but um, I I think sometimes there is something to that with offensive versus defensive head coaches. Um, I, I think that sometimes is a – a lot of times at least, those are teams that have sort of the, you know, quarterback-coach pairing. I don't know if those are the ones that they lost to necessarily, but just in general, those offensive head coaches oftentimes are like that. You know, you think, of, you think Andy Reid and Mahomes and so forth, those pairings. That, that's the other thing that I think about. You know, when I think about offensive head coaches, who's this quarterback? Because if he has a good quarterback and he's a good offensive coach – McVeigh, Stafford, you know, sure. those kinds of things. 
Well, those are tough outings sometimes. So anyway, but that's a it's an interesting takeaway though, or an interesting observation. I guess. Yeah, we we can move on, but just to lay it out for people kind of curious about it, the uh, eight wins you beat six defensive guys: Vrabel twice, Belichick, Tomlin, Todd Bowles, D'Amico, Ryan's. You did beat John Harbaugh, Frank Reich. You know those guys probably more special teams offense and Reich. And then the losses you lost to Doug Peterson twice. Sean McVay, Kevin Stefanski, hmm. Zach Taylor, Arthur Smith, Dennis Allen being the outlier there. So I don't know. Could, could be this. Could, could be the one, one other thought. And and again, not having done like a you know a, a dissertation on this um, scoring. You know, I mean the Colts. Although the Colts have scored a decent amount of points this year, it's been very inconsistent. And so they haven't been a team that necessarily is going to outscore you every game. Um, some of those teams are teams that can put up some points, you know, so I don't know. Maybe that's that's a factor, too. Interesting, though. Stephen Holder with us from ESPN on the Payless Liquors Hotline. All right, Stephen, so the game coming up on Sunday against the Raiders, you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you need to, you know, to wake up, sit up, and pay attention to what this Raiders, uh, Raiders team is doing. Uh, listen, watching them the last few weeks, watching how they just caved in that offensive line of the Chiefs, there's no doubt about it. What do you make of the Raiders, and why should we be paying attention? Well, it's it really does start up front. There's no doubt about that. I mean, their defense is making plays. We've seen it two weeks in a row, and they they are aggressive. They are they get after you. I mean, if you <laughs> Max Crosby is something else. First of all, like. This guy, I don't know if anyone's been watching Hard Knocks. I, I've only watched a couple episodes of the in-season one, but I, I did see the episode where Miami played the Raiders, and all they talked about that week was Max Crosby. He's <laughs> and, a freak. And two, he really is. And and Tua was particularly talking about how, and the coaches were, were talking about how this guy, he's going to hit you. Every time he gets close to you, he's going to hit you. Even if it's just like an, you know, just a bumpy on the shoulder, like he makes contact with you all the time, and his goal is to get in your head and to be like, "Hey, I'm here and I'm coming, and you better get rid of the ball because I'm I'm always there." And I I've watched him with that in mind since then, and I'm like, "Oh my god, he, it's real. He really does it." And it, I think there's a, a psychological factor there, like, and, and then a guy like Gardner Minshew, he has to play under control despite that because you know sometimes he doesn't react the best you know when he gets consistent pressure so anyway not to make it about one guy but but he's a pretty important guy you know, for what they do so even when he doesn't get numbers Max Crosby he's a presence and and Gardner Minshew is going to have to be prepared for that and and that offensive line they're just going to have to they got to buckle their chin straps and show me don't tell me you know because it's about consistency that that Pittsburgh game it doesn't mean a damn thing at this point. You know, you got to go out there and you got to do it again. Yeah, Crosby, 13 and a half sacks, 24 quarterback hits, 19 tackles for loss. And again, he's opposite the right tackle a lot. And Braden Smith yep. injury watch continues here this week. All right, Stephen, uh, appreciate the time. And lastly, before we go, I have traveled on Christmas Day a few times. And honestly, the airport, when I travel on Christmas Day, I feel like is not as deserted as I would have thought. What is traveling on Christmas Eve like? Because you were, <laughs> what, late flight out of Hartsfield oh. into, into, into Indy, yeah. is that correct? Th- that Atlanta airport, Stephen, no one's in that Atlanta airport around the holidays, <laughs> I'm sure. It's barren. Well, I would say this. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it was busy on Sunday at some point, but by the time I got there and I had a like a 10 o'clock flight, 10 o'clock p.m., 
I was the only person in the TSA pre-check line. <laughs> Literally the only person. I said, this can't. This is the Twilight Zone. Was the flight <laughs> empty? No, wow. the flight was absolutely packed. Really? So, yeah, you know, that, that's the last flight of the night, that yeah. kind of thing. So there were there were a fair amount of people catching those late flights. Uh, but it was funny, like, <laughs> I was in the, the Delta Sky Lounge. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not like big money or anything, but I, I got the credit card, so I got the lounge, right? So <laughs> I'm in there, and I'm like, all right, well, this is not, this is not terrible. I can, you know, have a few drinks before my flight. And they they make the announcement, hey, it's Christmas Eve, we're going home, get out. <laughs> so <laughs> it was definitely not a very, uh, very Christmas-like experience. But it's all good. I got home, and, you know, no worries. Gosh, I thought you were going to say, uh, open bar for everybody here. Yeah. Come on back. <laughs> Everyone top, come on in and yeah, get something to drink. Top shelf you, uh, <laughs> if you would like here. Uh, see- I had at least two more in me, man. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, hey, right. Yeah, damn. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, Steven, thanks for the time here on this uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, we'll see you later today at the Complex. All right, guys, I'll see you soon. All right, now. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 10 o'clock hour, hanging out, drivehuber.com studio. Appreciate uh, Stephen Holder joining us. Appreciate you guys letting me just get that off my chest. Lamar Jackson probably will win MVP, second MVP for him. So we'll dive into that, I'm sure, as we go. And uh, Colts conversation, 9 a.m., going to be our coverage on Sunday. Boy, it's a big one. Colts and Raiders. Raiders with that defense should be a lot of fun. And if the Colts win that one, we'll see exactly what the health is looking like with C.J. Stroud. He'll be coming in here to Lucas Oil coming up on uh, well we don't know we'll find out on Sunday if that's going to be a Saturday or a Sunday game let's get back to Pacer Talk Alex Golden joins us at Alex Golden NBA if you want to follow him on Twitter lots of places uh, you can find his work as well setting the pace podcast the blue and gold uh, the golden I should say on Substack Alan uh, Alan Alex good morning how are you today sir how's it going I'm doing all right, Andy. How are you doing, man? I don't know many young Allens. Do we make Allens anymore? I don't know. Do we? Alex, uh, do you know any so. Allens <laughs> under the age of 35? No, I don't. And actually, my dad's middle name is Allen. Look uh, at this. But that's about the only Allen I know. Allen Henderson's the youngest Allen that we all that we all know. Uh, Alex Golden <laughs> joining us here. I always like the, the shooting Payless form Lickers of Allen Houston. Yeah, that's a good one. He's a great player. Uh, Alex, what did you make? I should just call you Allen the rest of the way. Alex, what did you make? Uh, the win last night. A new starting lineup. Uh, some new combinations. A guy like Obi Toppin only playing 15 minutes. What did you make of the win? And what did you make of some of the changes that we saw from the coaching staff yeah so just with what i thought of the win i mean this isn't a hot take or anything but obviously this is the best win since they've beaten the bucks in the end season tournament you know houston came in 12 and 2 at home they've been playing pretty good basketball they're a playoff team right now in the western conference and one of the top defenses and the Pacers were able to kind of find a way to, to get things going and play pretty solid defense themselves i mean obviously there was moments where they struggled but 117 points is is pretty good number for the Pacers, and I think over the last four games, they're right around 19th in defensive rating, which is a drastic improvement from where they've been at for the majority of the season. But, you know, Rick Carlisle, uh, he was asked by Bob Kravitz after the game Saturday against the Magic if he had had any consideration to changing up the lineup, and he kind of didn't really seem like he was going to do it. And so then when he came on your guys' show yesterday and hinted at it, I was like, is he really going to make a drastic change? And I honestly didn't think that he would. 
But to see how big of a change it was to put Jalen in there with Aaron Neesmith, I thought that's pretty telling of what he thinks of his power forward rotation to go back to a center playing power forward, especially against a guy like Jabari Smith. But I think overall what Rick Carlisle was trying to do was get guys that play hard all the time. And he talked about that after the Magic game, just trying to find guys that will play hard from start to finish and not waiting until you get down by 14 points and come out in the second half and give it your best punch. So I felt like the three guys that he put in the lineup next to Miles and Tyrese were guys that always give it their best and always play, you know, hard-nosed defense. So I think that's what the reasoning was for it. We'll see if it's a long-term solution or if it was just a game, uh, you know, change right there for this Houston matchup. But I, I liked it. I thought it was a breath of fresh air, and it was great to see Jalen Smith get some extra minutes and, and really dominate the glass, getting eight boards, which Obi Toppin is not known for doing. Alex, hope you had a great Christmas and appreciate you joining us here on this Wednesday morning. Again, it's Alex Golden from Setting the Pace with us on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Um, I thought Tony East had a really interesting stat in saying that that lineup, that five-man grouping, so that would be Halliburton, Nemhard, Smith, Jalen Smith, Miles Turner, had only played 18 seconds together, and that was last November. So it's not like a grouping that you know they had really gone to at all this year, of course, or even last year. Um, and you might have just answered this, so I apologize if you feel like you're being a bit redundant. Do you feel like it was a little bit more of a – reward the two most consistent non-Tyrese Halliburton guys for the Pacers this season in Neesmith or Jalen Smith? Or do you think it was more of, we need to get more size out there because we're fouling way too much on the defensive end? I mean, I think it's a combination of both, KB, to be to be real with you. And let's let's be honest. I mean, if we want to have a conversation about Obi Toppin, yeah, like his numbers haven't looked bad this year. He's pretty efficient from the field. I, I know that he was leading the league in two-point focal percentage with a certain amount of attempts at, at one point last week. But it's like Obi Toppin is not a good rebounder and is not a good defender. And so, you know, Miles Turner is also not the greatest rebounder. He's an okay rebounder. But getting some more size out there would help. And then you gotta you gotta think about this too. Jalen Smith has been shooting the ball incredibly well from three, and that was kind of the problem last year with him and Miles playing together was he wasn't able to shoot at a at a high clip from the perimeter. So only one of four last night. Didn't shoot particularly well, but he's become a more respected three-point shooter by opponents. So I thought that was the key there. And then Aaron Neesmith, I mean, he's your best perimeter defender on this team uh, and probably gives you the best chance to guard other types of wings. You know, I, I think Andrew Nimhard is really, really good, too, at that position. So having both those guys out there that can kind of switch everything, I think, helps their defense a lot. And, you know, Rick had to make a change. I think defensively this team has – really struggled all year long, and while you also do sacrifice a little bit of offense, not having a buddy out there or even maybe a Ben Matherin, uh, you know, Aaron's been shooting the ball well, and so has Jalen Smith, and maybe they felt like because they're shooting the ball so well, uh, it'll still open up the offense and not, you know, clog things up with Tyrese. Obviously, there's plenty of long-term reasons to make this move, but do you see short-term reasons to put Jairus Walker into the rotation right now? I mean, it's tough. I, I, I think that I would like to see him play, and that to me is, uh, you know, one of those things everybody that's a Pacer fan wants to see just to get him some some run. And I thought it was interesting what Coach Carlisle said to you guys yesterday. It's like, you know, had he played really good in that Winter Showcase Championship game against <laughs> the New York G League team, maybe he would have got some run. But it acted like he acted like, well, he had two really good games and then one game that wasn't great. So, you know, that's all about being consistent. I'm just thinking, okay, so we're basing it off maybe G League uh, Winter you know, Winter Showcase games. Um, but I thought he played well against Minnesota. I thought he earned some minutes in the rotation. But 
Unfortunately, he was not given those minutes after that game. So I would like to see him get minutes, but with how they've kind of constructed the lineup now and bringing Obi off the bench, I don't necessarily know where he's going to fit in with the rotation just because I don't think Obi or Jarris are really threes. And then you've got Jalen Smith starting at the four. So they're going a little bit bigger, but I think Jarris needs to get playing time. I just don't know how they get him into the rotation right now if everything's played out. But um, you brought up a great point yesterday, KB, about Obi being you know a guy on an expiring contract. Uh, based on how he's played this year, I would be a little bit surprised if he's brought back in the offseason. Oh, I don't think you're bringing OB Toppin back. Uh, that, that's just, unless the price is right, I, I just don't think you are. There's money that can be used elsewhere. Uh, he's just not, to me, it's his rebounding numbers uh, as much as yeah. anything. He just doesn't have the rebounding numbers. Alex Golden with us, setting the pace podcast, hanging out on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Four straight games uh, that they've allowed defensively under 120 points in those games. Orlando, Houston, uh, what was it, Memphis, uh, and what happened? there with Charlotte I don't know is it sounds funny to ask this is that is improvement right and if so why do you think they have improved defensively even if that's just a little bit yeah I mean I think that the rotations have been better I think they're doing a better job of communicating um there, there's still obviously some struggles out there and you see guys get wide open but I feel like there's been more of an emphasis on it uh, especially after that Clippers game I mean it was terrible watching them give up another 150 point game and I think that practice that Carlisle alluded to, just they needed that, you know, live action practice. They hadn't had one in a couple of weeks, getting back home. I think that's helpful. But also the opponents they play, they're not great offensive scoring teams either. Uh, I know Charlotte's probably a little bit better, but without LaMelo, without Mark Williams, you know, kind of to put things into perspective there. I think that they've been matched up with some teams that aren't necessarily the greatest offensive output teams, but they've done a better job of just, I think anytime Andrew Nimar can get on the floor for 30 plus minutes, I think that's going to help your defense. I think he has been that pivotal to what this team wants to do. And I, uh, I really like how he plays defense. And I feel like if you have him guarding the other team's best guards, um, you could say Bruce Brown can do the same thing, but I feel like Andrew Nimar is more of a physical defender than a Bruce Brown is a little bit more gritty. And so just getting him in there with more minutes has been huge to me. And then, um, I just think they're playing more cohesively together, just doing a better job communicating and not not allowing themselves to get beat up when they're not getting it offensively. They're, they're still staying together defensively, which I think has been a, a you know a sign of improvement from this team and really just a, a step in the right direction. Again, Alex Golden's with us here, setting the pace as the podcast. Great listen to uh, with Alex uh, on the Pacers. Uh, he's joined us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Alex, who would you label as the most disappointing Pacers player this season? Mm-hmm. Oh man, I don't. That's. I think a lot of people would probably point the finger at Bruce Brown, just because of what you paid him and how he's not really felt like you haven't felt his impact that much. But you know, I would probably have to lean Ben Mather to a certain degree, just because it's been so inconsistent. And while he has made improvements, he can't do it consistently. And just trying to find that right balance of how does he fit with this team? Because you watch some games and you're like, if he can just do this, he's going to fit in fine with this team. And then you see other times where he does, you know, plays a certain way and he's not able to, you know, really show like, okay, he's a perfect fit next to Tyrese, that kind of thing. So I was really hoping that him and Tyrese would find that chemistry this year. He would take that second year step and, He's kind of hit a he's kind of hit a sophomore slump a little bit, not to the point where I'm worried about it all the way, but I think just going from a starter to 
coming off the bench and, and kind of being hit or miss with what his role is with this team. I think that it's just been a little bit underwhelming, but um, I would probably go. I'd probably go Ben. I don't know about you, KB, but that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah, and I, I totally hear you out. I mean, the inconsistency of Matherin is there. I actually thought last night he had a few – you know, nice kind of plays from a playmaking, passing standpoint. Guys just didn't mm-hmm. hit open shots. But, yeah, I mean, from the inconsistency standpoint, uh, certainly I, I think that's fair. And, obviously, you know, you and you are talking to a guy that loves Matherin, and I know that you are a big Matherin guy <laughs> as well. Um, okay, last one from me. Um, I know something you love to do is crunch the trade machine. We are a little over a month away from the trade deadline. Uh, if I threw the label realistic, what do you view as realistic in season – for this Pacers team come trade deadline? Yeah, I think they're going to try to make a swing. I think Tyrese Halliburton's comments after the Magic game were pretty telling. Um, I don't know if you saw that clip or now where he talked about how Orlando has a lot of, you know, bigger wings and, you know, they're they're built to win for the future. And that's the way the league is heading now. And it wasn't like he was indirectly saying the Pacers don't have that, but they, they don't. And Jairus Walker is probably the only one that you could would consider like a true 6-8 kind of, hybrid four type of player, but they're missing that four, that three, and the Raptors' names are always going to come up just because Siakam and OG are two guys that could make a lot of sense on this team, and you can make the case for who's the better fit, what it's going to cost you, that type of thing. Um, I know that Pascal Siakam probably wants to resign in Toronto just because he's been a franchise player there. Um, OG and Anobi don't really know what he's going to do with that contract, but I definitely think he's opting out, but in terms of realistic, it's it's one of those things where I don't know how much the Pacers will be willing to give up, but I think if they could maybe take a flyer on somebody without giving up a lot of assets, that would be kind of smart. And someone that I'm keeping my eye on, and I know Pacers fans probably quiver when they hear this name, is Gordon Hayward. And I know that doesn't like scream off the page like, oh, what are we doing for a 34-year-old kind of power forward? But he's an expiring contract, so you don't have long-term money invested into him. He plays that power forward, small forward position, very good offensive player, very smart basketball IQ kind of guy. He stayed healthy this year for Charlotte. And I think that if they could maybe make a move like that where they're not giving up a Ben or a Jer or someone like that to get him, that could be a, a more of like a patch-the-hole type thing because you do always have to worry about does Pascal leave in free agency if you trade for him and are you willing to trade you know, a, a guy like Matherin or Walker for a guy that could leave. And I think that, you know, Hayward's not going to – demand that much uh, value back in return. So that's a name that I'm kind of keeping an eye on, but I'm sure there's other names out there that could make some sense. I haven't really looked too deep into who could be traded, but that's someone I wouldn't mind if the Pacers took a flyer on for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know what I had further off the bingo card today. Andy comparing (laughs) Lamar Jackson to Donald Trump or... You throwing out Gordon Hayward as for the Pacers here at the trade deadline. <laughs> you did preface it, Alex. You're like, listen, Pacer fans not may not like. No, he this, did a very nice job but of prefacing Gordon it. Hayward. I don't know if may yeah. not needs to be used. To be honest with you, Alex. No, I mean everybody gets mad if I bring it up, but like, uh, it's a six foot eight wing. I mean they don't have a player like that. He's really smart. I think that he's been in enough games and has enough experience that he would help this team. And my my biggest thing is you don't want to jeopardize the future too much. Right. I don't want to give up on Jairus or Ben just yet. And while I can make the case for maybe you do trade Jairus to go get a Pascal Siakam, it might be a better fit, uh, might give you a higher ceiling this season. What really is the ceiling this season? Is it is it getting to the Eastern Conference Finals? I think that's unrealistic. I think that's a pipe dream. So to me, it's like the most realistic thing is maybe getting a, a first-round playoff series win 
And is that worth giving up on some of your own talent? I think that's a little bit uh, something I would not want to do. Alex, always enjoy your insight, man. Um, Again, hope you had a great Christmas. Happy New Year to you and appreciate the time. Yeah, you guys too. I hope you guys had a great Christmas. And I I do have to give a shout out real quick. Sorry, but it is. It is my wife's 27th birthday on the 27th. So oh, nice. Birthday. How about that? So, uh, happy birthday, babe. And uh, she's not listening, but I'll make sure she goes back and listens to the podcast <laughs> on 107.5thefan.com. There we you go. Can't draft, you can't drop the happy birthday, babe, and then have her not listen to it. Certainly send her the podcast. Come on now. How do you know she's not <laughs> listening? 27-year-old women. That's our demo, Alex. How dare you? Please. <laughs> Well, I told her, I said, I'm going on tomorrow. I said, I'm going to make sure I give you a shout out because I've done that for a few anniversaries for my parents and my in-laws and my grandparents too. So she's like, well, I probably won't listen. I was like, oh, you're going to listen to it. Just one way or the other, I'm going to make sure you hear that I did my job as a husband. (laughs) Happy birthday there to the missus. Uh, Well-deserved shout out. And uh, like I said, Alex, thanks for the time, man. Absolutely, guys. Thank you. I'll see you later.